from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 100. Today's show is brought to you by 123 Note Taker. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Tichi. And I'm also joined by your friend and mine, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Howdy, Stephen. Howdy, Mike. I'm so excited for today's episode that we should just jump straight into follow-up. Follow but up. first, let me boot one of my uh, 13 iMacs so I can really get the flavor of this ancient K-Base. And speaking of K-Base, this ancient K-Base is actually... From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode one. Today's show is brought to you by Hover and Text Expander from Smile. My name is Mike Hurley, and guys, we did it. Mr. Stephen Hackett, congratulations on episode 100. It feels pretty good, right? Nice round number. We finally made it to a 100. Yeah, the, the prompt in. Never did that. No, but we did now. Federico, you are here too. 100 episodes under our belt. Yeah, I'm really happy. It doesn't seem real. Uh, it's, a, it's a big milestone, guys. I feel like we're podcaster uh, professionals. At this point, mm-hmm. where we are uh, people familiar with the matter of podcasting, mm-hmm. because we reach uh, 100 episodes, so congrats, cheers, and uh, let's do the show. <laughs> the clout scores are going up. I can feel it. Yeah. Is this the last episode, or are we still uh, going to carry on? No, we're still going. Are we still okay. friends, even uh, after 100 episodes? I don't know. It's like you know when you watch a TV show like Friends, right? And it's a really long-running thing, and you end up becoming so attached to them that you wish they were friends or like the Mythbusters you know the Mythbusters mm-hmm. weren't friends and it always makes me sad to think that so I feel like we should just leave a air of mystery around it and just not let mm. anybody know if we're friends or not maybe we're just super professionals and we're just really good at acting like we're friends that's kind of sad but I can I can live with it okay I mean one of the reasons that we might not be friends anymore is something like hashtag teach <laughs> why? That's awesome. Why Why is it a problem? I don't know. Well, it depends what you think about the uh, applications that I have pulled out. Okay. Um, I have I have gone through the TeachyMentee hashtag from last week. Uh, this is uh, with the beginning of Federico's mentorship program that we were talking about because Federico dreamed of being a mentor for his business cards. Mm-hmm. So I have picked out some people who have put their applications with the hashtag TeachyMentee. Uh, okay. Wolfgang. Wolfgang needs pasta guidance under the mentorship program. Is this included in the package? Will you teach people about how to cook pasta, what pasta to eat, that kind of thing? Is that going to be included in the uh, teacher's mentorship program? Well, I mean, uh, pasta is an essential element to, to the well-being of, uh, of you know, uh, someone who wants to study the program because you got to eat food to, to continue living, mm-hmm. of course. And I feel <laughs> like... And I feel like the, the the best food to you know to have energy and, and and mental clarity is pasta. So of course, a pasta guidance would be included in the package. And I appreciate that Wolfgang uh, said no pineapples, just tomatoes. And I, I feel like Wolfgang is uh, is making a good point. I'm not putting pineapples in pasta. I'm not going that far. Well, someone someone is somewhere in the world. There's someone ma- making pasta with pineapples. I mean, if they make pizza at this point, the the, the you know the, the damage is already done. Someone is surely making pasta with pineapples. Pumpkin's good in pasta. No, no it it's is. Not. It yeah. is. No. no yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So mm. pumpkins are good for for Halloween, and and that's about it. And uh, so yes, Wolfgang, uh, pasta is included in the package. I would also like to just say Wolfgang instead because I like that. And just in case he is Wolfgang, 
Uh, I just wanted to say that because I like doing that. Uh, Jace wants to learn blogging from you, Federico. And I wondered, is blogging a skill that can be taught or are you born with the ability to blog? No, it's a skill that you learn and that mm. you need to practice every day for a long time. And it, de- it depends on, I guess, um, the kind of blog that you want to have. So when I started, I want to make stories to be more like uh, dozens of, of articles every day and to always be on the, you know, on the, on the tech news beat and to do breaking news, rumors, that kind of stuff. But with time, I, I, I figured that it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to have a more relaxed uh, and sort of uh, analytic approach maybe. And so I shifted my, my, the kind of website that I have to be, in terms of quantity, to be smaller than other websites. But definitely blogging, um, especially when it comes to the tools that you need to use, the decisions that you make, and to not fall for the new technology that comes out, that locks you in, and then after a couple of years it's gone and you you ended up with a blog that is based on a CMS that is no longer supported and you you don't know what to do. So there's a lot of things to understand about blogging, especially you know if, if it's a tech blog or a video game blog or a music blog. It's ch- the landscape has changed in the past few years, especially with Medium and uh, you know people taking sort of doing more uh, video updates instead of articles, you know, with YouTube and that, that kind of stuff. Uh, but definitely blogging, uh, it's something that, that you need to learn, not that, that you can wow. learn. You need to learn blogging. So this this feels like it's going to be a cornerstone of the mentorship program. Absolutely, especially because, you know, uh, it's great that, you, that you're able to share, uh, you know, updates on Twitter or Snapchat, whatever, but I feel like having a permanent blog, a space where you can type words and direct people to, uh, you know, to a link to a page where they can read you uh, with a with an RSS feed. I'm I'm kind of uh, of a traditionalist in the, in this sense. I feel like having a blog is is a is a is a key element of of the program. Blogging and food definitely. So first up, two applications, really good ones. Okay, Reed missed the point and wants to dress up as a manatee. Is well, this accepted? <laughs> It can be a mascot, I guess. Okay. Uh, you can you can dress up as a manatee. I mean, I, I do. It's a pretty terrible mascot. I mean, mascots are supposed to be like aggressive and exciting. A manatee is neither of those things. I bet a manatee could be aggressive. You know, there's a David Attenborough documentary out there where there is an aggressive manatee. You just know it, like eating a penguin or something. It's not like can a manatee bite you? I don't know. Is it an mm-hmm. aggressive animal? I mean, anything can bite you. You know, no, like if you think not about anything. It, pretty no. much anything that lives can bite you. I just don't see like a bunch of people cheering for the manatee team. How do you dress up as a manatee and a mascot? It's just basically you just look like a big gray underwater potato. It's a terrible mascot. <laughs> Joel wants to learn Italian, and I wondered if Italian is a required language for your mentorship program. No, it's not. And uh, not because I don't have pride in my country, but. Uh, Especially because uh, it's a it's a very limited population, and uh, you know I got a lot of uh, criticism when I switched Mac stories from double languages. Uh, so it started as as a, as a blog in Italian and in English, and then after a few months, I just decided to do it all uh, do it all in English. And 
the first few months I got a lot of people emailing me and making fun of me on Twitter because I was, you know, kind of like the pretentious Italian who wanted to write in English. And to be fair, my English was kind of terrible back then and, and I still need to, need to improve, of course, because it's not my first language. But, um, you know, there's only 60 million people living in Italy and everyone else doesn't live in Italy and people abroad don't speak Italian. So it's a fancy language to, to learn, you know, especially Italy is, is a beautiful country. So when you, when you come in Italy, if you can speak a bit of Italian or if you know Italian and you want to speak Italian abroad, it can give you that little, you know, exotic, fascinating sort of tone to your persona, uh, but it's not a required language for the program. Is Python a required language for the program? <laughs> no, honestly not. You, you're free to you're free to use your your preferred programming language of choice, whether it's Python or Swift or Objective C. I'm not too fussy about the language that you want to use. Jake wants to apply for the program. Jake already works you at Mac Stories. Does this help his chances? <laughs> I don't know why Jake did this. I don't know how much higher he could get in the program than he currently I mean, already is. But he's, he's on our Slack and we talk every day. And uh, I feel like Jake is already part of the program. Uh, Do you think that Jake is maybe signaling here that as a boss, you're not really a mentor? Ooh. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. I'm mm. not sure how I want to reply to that, Mike. Mm. I feel I feel like Jake just wanted to be out there with the hashtag and wanted to be part of the conversation. But Jake is in many ways the perfect candidate for the program because he emailed me a few months ago and we started talking and then we started, you know, let's do something together. Why don't you write for Max Stories? And then we invited over to Slack. And So is that all you need to do to work for Max Stories? Just email you? Well, most of the time, yeah. What do you want to do? Come knocking at my house and say, yeah, what am I for Mac Stories? I don't know. I mean, that might help. Uh, that shows initiative, at least. No, that's creepy. Okay. Please don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Jake, Jake has it right because you are paying him to be in the program. Oh. Most of the time, I think people would pay the mentor if, if there's money exchange. I mean, obviously, you're doing this out of the right. goodness of your own heart. But, right. you know, if you were like a proactivity guru on the side of a mountain, people would pay money to come see you. But Jake is, our, is making money. And being potentially mentored, I think I think Jake, I think Jake's doing it right. Mm. See, that's what that's what he meant. Basically, Jake doesn't doesn't want me to pay him anymore. So thank you, Jake. Uh, you're, you're, that's so kind of him, isn't it? Saving me money now. <laughs> <laughs> it's really sweet of him. And also, you know, we spoke about the importance of pasta. Uh, Simba wanted to understand if the ways of the Tichi espresso would be taught as part of your mentorship program. Is this an, another cornerstone of the program, Espresso? I see, of course, Simba is, uh, uh, according to his tweet, a long-time AeroPress user. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, Simba, there's no AeroPress in the program. Uh, the only real coffee, of course, is espresso. And uh, don't you don't you do that, Mike? Aeropress uh, makes espresso. It's just not the espresso that you are used to no, having that, served that doesn't you. That doesn't make any sense. Yes, it it's does. It's like... No, no, it, it does. doesn't. Aeropress yes. makes espresso. Yes. The espresso machine makes espresso. No. Not the Aeropress. No, there are oh, other God. ways to make espresso rather, other than an espresso machine that you have. It's like people, when, when they go to the lake and they say, yeah, I went to the beach. No, you did not go to the beach. You went to the lake. Mm. That's the same thing, Mike. Mm -hmm. The beach is by the sea. The lake people is People are telling lake. me in the chat room that it's not espresso. Well... You can make espresso. The, the internet tells me that you can make espresso. The internet is wrong, Mike. Uh, well, well, okay. Well, so who knows? what's a what's the next step for 
uh, well, this is the, all on you. I mean, I've I've given people that are, who what they're looking for out of the program. Um, I've given you some some real candidates here. So now it's all on you, Federico. You've got to spin up this thing. Uh, you apply for some, I guess, some grants and stuff, right, to help pay I for feel, it all. I, I feel like I need some some artwork or some landing page done. Yeah. Well, we have a we have a domain which can be pointed towards anything you need. Um, and, and we can move on from there. I'm excited to see where this mentorship program uh, is going to go next. So hashtag TeachMNT. And what's the what's the domain name? So TeachMNT.com. No, I think it's mentor. What's Stephen knows the the website. It is MentorStories.net. MentorStories.net. Okay. MentorStories.net. So you go there and you'll find everything you need uh, for, the, <laughs> for the mentorship program conducted by Federico Vitici. Uh, on last week's episode, uh, it turned out that Federico was a prophet. If you remember, he predicted multipad life. But we have had another uh, another prophecy told in an earlier episode of the prompt. In episode number fifty four, we were talking about. I think it was we were just talking about the Android Wear watch. I think that was what the episode was about. Um, and Luke had written in that at around 38 minutes, me and Stephen join forces to create the prophecy of how you will be able to unlock a Mac with your Apple Watch. So this is the idea of using things that the phone can be aware of contextually to not then need to provide you with the, the need to put your your key in so like for example to to put your passcode in or to put some sort of unlock code in um you could maybe unlock your phone by wearing your smartwatch or something like that um any sort of bluetooth device that you have attached to you there was a os 10 app an ios like app that did this right I think it's. I think that sort of thing is really pretty cool, and you could see Apple could do that with the continuity and handoff stuff because the devices starting this fall will know much more about each other. And I, for one, would like that if I'm near my computer and I walk up to it, that I had the option to unlock it based on proximity. I think it could be really nice. I mean, I think it just goes to show that while Federico is a truly gifted mm-hmm. digital prophet if you will. <laughs> oh, no, no. Clearly that. his his <laughs> skills have rubbed off on us over time. Yeah, and I think that, that really the three of us should go into some sort of um, digital prophecy network. Like maybe maybe we could lay in a pool of water on our backs and Ooh, predict yeah. the future. Yeah, yeah, I like this. And, and like different technology CEOs, they come to us and, and we tell them yeah. what, what we think is going to happen in the future. And we could have precognitive thoughts about their their technology. What you want to do is to host your own Burning Man event. Yeah, that's a good idea. So there's going to be like tents and there's going to be like people in some kind of desert. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, s- some kind of landscape across Texas. I don't know. And y- all the CEOs uh, and people from big companies can go there and, you know, use different tools and and substances, if you will, to, to follow mm-hmm. the event and then listen to your to your predictions. I think that's good. 
We'll get right on that. Let's not do the relay con again, and let's do this kind of event instead. <laughs> it's a natural pivot. On it. Um, I just wanted to mention, obviously, we are at episode 100 today, which is you know one of those times when you look back. So I would just like to encourage people to continue looking back through our archives over the prompt and connected, uh, and continue to let us know about all of the things that we got right, because I am almost certain that there are many, many, many more. <laughs> What's uh, what's the expression? Even even a, a a wrong mic. A broken mic is predicting things correctly once every little while. I think it's that. It's something like that. A, a broken mic is right uh, across a hundred episodes. Yep. At least all twice. the time. <laughs> all the time. So there's a hashtag all about it. Um, if you remember last week, we I've done all the follow up this week. This is the change at yeah. episode one hundred. I'm continuing. No, I'm, no, I'm continuing. Uh, it's Austin Evans did a great video. I'm not letting you do it about, about the mechanical iPad keyboard case from Razer. Uh, so you can go and see. Um, I don't really know what to think about this thing. It's kind of what I expected. It's clicky clacky, uh, and the the stand looks good. There's a part of me that's like, oh, that looks nice, but I don't want the big thick keyboard attached to my ipad when really the the what is it called what i have the smart cover smart keyboard smart smart keyboard mike smart keyboard i'm not joking i cannot (laughs) remember the names of this product you should you should get that checked out by your position it's too late it's too late for me now um i that's already enough like from weight and thickness i wouldn't want to bolt a keyboard to the side of my ipad but i mean it looks like if you do want to type on it a bunch like if you take your if you're writing your next novel or something and you want to take your iPad down to the coffee shop to write on it, this looks like maybe a more pleasant keyboard to people that are more used to writing keyboards than uh, than with what the smart cover keyboard can do. What do you think, Stephen? You can say something. You're allowed to talk, but you just can't drive the follow-up. That's This is harsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's fine. I think that I agree with you. I think people are going to really like the keyboard. The whole thing seems kind of janky. Like It has a kickstand, which... Is sort of laughable until you realize that you can adjust the pitch of the screen. So, like in the smart keyboard, you're locked to that one angle. But it seems like the like the whole thing is a little bit sloppy. Like the keyboard and the top case can come apart, so you can like set your iPad further back if you want to. And just it's all held together by magnets. And in this video, Austin is like sliding them over each other, and it comes apart. And it, it just seems like it could use a little more refining. But the keyboard, which is the important part. Uh, seems pretty pretty good. So uh, I think Jason Snell bought one. So I'm I'm looking oh, forward cool. to seeing what what he thinks. Um, Jason and I uh, have like I generally agree with his comments on keyboards. So I'm, I'm curious to see how he feels uh, feels about it. Yeah, I I gotta say that the adjustable viewing angles is something I would really want. It frustrates Agreed. me. What frustrates me the most is the viewing angles are completely different on the twelve nine and the nine seven with the keyboard cases. This is completely mm, different. That. Absolutely 100% different. Like the 12.9 leans way more back. Like to the point that I don't put the 9.7 in the, like where you have the keyboard behind and it's kind of standing up like a regular smart cover because it, yeah. the, as I said before, the 9.7 is basically a, like vertical. Like it's just like hmm. straight up and it falls over. I don't like it. Uh, so yeah, they're completely different, which is very frustrating for me. Uh, Stephen was on an episode of Mac Power Users. Talking about old yep. Macs, probably. <laughs> uh, we talked a lot about the behind the scenes of Relay. The network is, uh, in, in just a month, is going to be turning two years old. So we kind of talked through some of that, some of the business end of it. So if you're curious about how Relay works kind of behind the scenes, um, the first half of the episode is really about that. And the second half of the episode is... Sorry. 
the second half of the episode is really looking at my work at Five Twelve Pixels and the YouTube channel and the white well of of Matt collecting. Now that I've captured my first one, I don't know what the second white well is. Maybe it's more like a manatee. It's hard to say. Yeah, but um, uh, so I bring up the uh, Macintosh TV in episode of Mac Power Users. So always got to stay on brand, stay on brand there. And Mike, you pointed out that we have some synergy between our titles because as digital prophets we could influence the Mac Power users in naming our episodes the same. Episode 331 is called Stephen Hackett, Collector of Macs. Episode 317 is called Mike Hurley, Collector of iPads. Those those Mac Power users crew, there there's some smart cookies over there. It's true. And last piece and of follow-up this have... week. Uh, no, no. I, I won't let you do it. I won't let you do it. I know you want to, and I won't let you. Uh, last piece of follow-up this week. Um, this is kind of like what Stephen and Jason did with Liftoff. They did a pilot episode that went out as a B-side when they were kind of trying to work out the show format. Um, I have done a pilot episode of a show called I Love to Test, which I'm working on with Adina Nemsu and Tiffany Arment. And we have we're not ready to launch a show yet. We still got a lot of work that we want to do on it, but we've all been playing Pokemon Go, obviously. So we decided that this felt like a really good kind of pilot-y type thing. We could just the three of us get together. We've all played Pokemon Go and we talk about it. And at the end, we rate as to whether we want to keep testing it out or whether it's become something that we love or whether it's something that we hated. Um, I Love to Test is a kind of a show where we will test anything from apps to Airbnb experiences to weird Amazon stuff, anything. So go and check it out. See if you like the format. We're working on it and I hope that you enjoy it. And that's, uh, uh, it'll be in the show notes, but it's uh, on our B-Sides feed, relay.fm slash B hyphen sides, not a good URL, slash 22. But it will be in our show notes, which are easier to find because it's connected slash 100 this week. So it's easy to find. Stephen, I don't like that B-Sides URL, but there's nothing we can do about it now, maybe. Or maybe you can fix it. Too bad, dude. (laughs) Maybe you can fix it. I could do 301s. You should do 301s right. to it. I don't know what that means, but you should do it. It's literally two lines of code. I can't. I cannot be bothered. That makes me sad. It's because I took the follow-up away, isn't it? It is. Never mind. All right, let's take a break and thank our first sponsor of this week's episode, and that is Hover. We love Hover. I actually have a page open. I have a tab open right now at Hover to buy some 123 note-taker-related domain names. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier in the show about uh, mentorstories.net. That is a Hover domain that Stephen purchased, I think, whilst we were recording the show last week. Hover is so easy to go in and just buy domains super quickly. That's what I really like about them because when all you need is just that domain or email address for a joke to play on your friend or for a project that you're working on or whatever, you, there's always a reason that you just want to get through that process as quickly as possible. That's what Hover gives you because you don't have to opt out of page after page of add-ons and stuff that you don't want to have to look at or read. They give you everything you need, right? give you who is privacy, which is what keeps your personal information private. You have to give all of your personal information to register a domain name, like your email address, phone number, and home address. But this can be published online, basically, if you don't have who is privacy. Hover know this, which is why they enable it for free on every domain. You just get it lumped in. You don't need to ask for it. They just do it, which is totally the way you should do it with anything domain related. That's what I love about them. Hover believe you don't have to pay for things that you should already have included in the domain. They make it so easy to go in, make the search, and get out as quickly as you like. Go and find the perfect domain name for your next idea or for that great joke you want to tell for a friend or just to get a cool domain to forward to something else. Go to hover.com, use the promo code BONDI, 
Bondi Bondi? Which one was it? Was it Bondi? It was Bondi, right? <laughs> B-O-N-D-I no at checkout to save 10% off your first purchase. We're really going classic in the jokes there. B-O-N-D-I, Bondi. Thank you so much to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. I actually don't remember. Was it Bondi? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I can feel the rage building yeah. inside of you. It's all of Australia being angry at you. So why don't you take over now? I can't be trusted. Thank anymore. you. It's about mm, mm, stripped my responsibilities. So uh, we wanted to check in with Federico on his review, and this <laughs> this really was spurned by a tweet that you had yesterday showing a screenshot of uh, of what I believe is Scrivener. And so, kind of, how's the review going? Are you using Scrivener for it? How's that How's that process uh, going these days? Well, the review is going. Great, I think, um, making better progress than last year by this time. Um, um, I'm a little over halfway through. And before you freak out when I tell you the word count, keep in mind that I will cut down a lot. So last year, I removed about 7,000 words from the final product. So when I tell you that I'm about 25,000 words in, uh, uh, don't do not freak out yet because there's going to be... A, there's going to be a lot of editing. so Dude, people are going to write blog posts about that length, you know. <sighs> I feel like <laughs> I've already read like 15,000 of those words. Yeah, so in, I was going to say, messages. I've seen it all. <laughs> so I've, I've been sending Mike and Steven <laughs> little snippets of sections mm-hmm. just to get an idea if they like if they like them, uh, you know, the direction that I'm going. And, and, and since the last uh, five days... Basically, I'm, uh, I'm mostly alone every day for 10 days because my girlfriend is busy at a dance event in Rome. So I wake up at 10 a.m. By 11 a.m., I start writing and I stop writing at my 8 p.m. I just eat lunch and I do some exercise, but then I'm, al- I'm always writing. And I was able to go from, I was like, five or 6,000 words last week to 25,000 uh, since uh, Friday or Saturday. So I'm, I'm really going for it. And uh, th- that's why the reason why is I prepared a lot of research beforehand. I had a lot of notes and I had, of course, a lot of uh, thoughts and hot takes, I guess. Uh, by September, they will no longer be hot, but you know, like there will be tepid. warm takes. W- tepid takes? <laughs> warm takes? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, as you can see, <laughs> warm takes. <laughs> as, I have as a lukewarm take on this. <laughs> as you can see from, from the screenshot, I switched to Scrivener. Of course you did. So there's a lot of background here, Mike, and a lot of backstory and a lot of back and forth with the Scrivener developers. So I told you guys about my, my questions and concerns with using Ulysses uh, and whether it was able to scale for this kind of project. And when I, what we I realized... We should say Scrivener for iOS is like imminent, right? Coming out tomorrow. Coming out tomorrow. Uh, and it's a fantastic iOS version of Scrivener. It doesn't have all of the features of the Mac app, but it's, I would say, 80% uh, the, the Mac version on iOS. It's super powerful. It lets you do almost uh, everything you can do on the Mac. And it's got a lot of features, of course. And it works great on the iPad Pro. It's on the iPhone. So my my concerns for Ulysses uh, were mostly about the fact that I wanted to split up my review in different documents and different folders, if you will. 
And in Ulysses, I could do that with uh, multiple sheets. But then when I was looking at Scrivener and I realized I could do m different kinds of groupings. So I could do folders, I could do documents with sub-documents, and I could also apply some visual indicators for each document to visually tell me the state of a document. So for example, uh, you can... In the document list in Scrivener, which is called the binder, you can have labels for documents. Mm -hmm. And I came up with this color-based organizational system that I use to show me uh, visually which documents I need to tackle next. So the documents that I'm working on are labeled with a yellow color. And so when, I, when I'm looking at the binder and when I'm looking at my mind map in iThoughts in split view, I can look at the map, look at the topics, take a look at the binder, see what's next, and I kind of can concentrate on that. But the real benefit is how I can embed research inside the same Scrivener project. And unlike Ulysses, which only lets you add notes or images to a sheet, you can have a, a root-level research folder in Scrivener where you can put any kind of file. You can put PDFs, mm -hmm. photos, videos, documents from other apps. How do you get them into Scrivener? Document pickers. Is it a document picker or you open document pickers? Uh, you tap an icon, brings up a list of right. document providers, you choose it and you import the file. Could I be looking at a screenshot and add it to Scrivener? Like in the Photos app? Or do you have to be in Scrivener and bring things in? Well, in iOS 10, you can, because there's a new extension for iCloud Drive. Uh, well, actually, no, because Scrivener doesn't work as a document provider. So what right. you need to do is a workflow that takes the image and uses opening to send it to Scrivener. You can, you can use the opening menu to... I would like to recommend, um, there is an episode of Canvas, which yeah. is a great <laughs> show that Federico does with Fraser Spears. That if you are completely baffled about what I'm talking about with document providers here, with pickers and providers and why they're different. It's episode number two of Canvas. It will be in the show notes. That is the only reason I understand this in any way because I listened to Fraser and Federico explain it to me because it yeah. is mind-numbingly confusing. <laughs> so um, I started putting all of my PDF documents and, and uh, screenshots into Scrivener. And the great thing is you can go crazy with multiple levels of folders and you know nested documents. So I... In the research folder, which is the default location for research material, I added a, f a master folder called screenshots and then subfolders for apps. So like Apple Music or Home Screen, mm. Lock Screen, Safari. And inside each folder, there's images labeled with a, with a beta version they were taken on. So I have like Apple Music, oh Download, Dialog, Beta 2. How would you have previously collected this stuff? It was a mess. Uh, in the Photos app, there was no tagging. I was constantly losing screenshots, and I was constantly making, creating notes, referencing a screenshot that I, that I later needed to find manually into the Photos app. It was terrible, and I was wasting a, a lot of time. This way, I can, separate, I can have the same project, but it's split in two different sections, the draft of the review and the research material. And the research material I can organize by folder, I can organize by beta, and I can reference at any time because there's a feature called Quick Reference that allows you to basically create a split view inside Scrivener so you can have a PDF or a screenshot by the left side and a document by the right side. 
But that's not even the best part. Scrivener is not a markdown text editor. It's basic. It's mostly a rich text writing application. You can export as markdown, which I'll get to in a minute, but the core writing experience is meant for rich, rich text. And it's not just like bold and italics and lists. You can do text highlights, colored text, inline footnotes, um, and of course, all kinds of other like indentation stuff. The, the text highlight uh, was intriguing to me because when I'm writing a document, especially when it's July and, you know, we're just at beta 3 and there's going to be a, more betas coming out, some stuff is going to change by September. But I need to write now. And because I'm writing now, I need to have placeholders for stuff that is a bug in the current beta or that I will need to add at a later stage because I need to try apps or because I need to wait for betas. Or even there's a, we're trying to have a different layout for the review of Mac Stories this year, if possible. So I'm marking sections or you know paragraphs that I would want to have with a special layout in the on the website. I'm highlighting them in green. I'm highlighting stuff that will need to be revised in yellow, and I'm highlighting bugs and problems that I need to look over again in a future beta in red. Finally, I'm leaving placeholders for images highlighted in blue. So when I'm looking at the document now, the result is I can see my text, which is, of course, black on white page. But then I see all of these different colored placeholders. So at a glance, I know, okay, this section has a lot of yellow uh, sentences, which means I need to write more content. Or this section has a bunch of red highlights. That means there were bugs and I need to try this functionality again. Or if I see a lot of blue stuff, I know, well, there's going to be a lot of screenshots in here. So this kind of... Why is this different in Scrivener, though? Like this, this highlighting? Like what about Scrivener is helping you do this that maybe other applications can't, like oh. Word? Well, because I don't like Word first, you know, I, <laughs> and Word doesn't let me export as Markdown, and it doesn't let me organize, uh, you know, the research, the research stuff and the documents like in Scrivener. Can you so can you explain the exporting as Markdown a little bit? Because if I'm following this correctly, I obviously haven't tried Scrivener. It's not a Markdown app like Ulysses. Basically you have different export options, which include plain text, uh, rich text, and PDF. Um, and you, Scrivener has support for this uh, markup language called, uh, I'm not sure about how you pronounce that, it's called YAML, maybe? It's spelled Y-A-M-L. And it's a way to add, um, to, to create a template for exporting a document with meta tags. And Scrivener also has an option called Convert Basic Markdown, which only works for some rich text content, such as bold and italics. doesn't work for uh, block quotes and lists, which I'll links? explain. Supports links, Mike. Okay. And footnotes. So the right. most important stuff, you know, bold italics, footnotes, and links are the elements that I add most often during uh, in my review. So those elements are converted from rich text to markdown. Um, and the thing about Scrivener is I got in touch with the developer and he was super responsive um, about this implementation of meta tags. So we came, he came up and he told me how to do it uh, with this syntax f 
to modify the standard template so that when I export uh, my review, it starts from an H2 header in HTML or Markdown. You know, the two pound signs before a section, yep. you know, the two hashes. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to start from H1 because H1 is the, is the title of the review. So all my sections need to start from H2 and go deeper in the nested levels. So H3, H4, sometimes H5. If you're feeling crazy. When I do subsections. Mm-hmm. And I needed to modify the template for that, which I cannot do in other apps. And the Scrivener developers were kind enough to tell me how to do that with uh, with a template modification. Uh, and as soon as I saw that, and as soon as I understood that the only problems would be block quotes and uh, lists, I was like, you know, I don't care. I can automate that later with workflow. I can do some cleanup of the, of the markdown text. So you'll just do some like find and replace type stuff. Exactly. I will do some find and replace with some rejects at the end. And everything else, uh, you know, the research, the rich text, the, the way that I can organize my review, collapse sections when I'm done with them or expand them when I need to get back into a sub-document the way that I can gla- scroll documents, glance at the colors, and know, okay, I need to do more work here. That's amazing. That's frankly amazing. And I, and I and I almost didn't, you know, last week I was super skeptical skeptical about Scrivener, but then I spent two days playing with it, and then I just started writing. And it's I've been I, I really think I've been keeping this good pace, good progress, because my my writing tool isn't slowing me down. And I'm not trying to fiddle with it to make it work for me. Because once I set it up, you know, I have my shortcuts for text highlights. I have my shortcut for footnotes. And I'm done. I don't need anything else. Dave in the chat room is asking, are you writing in rich text or are you writing in markdown? I'm writing in rich text. Um, the only markdown that I keep as plain text, basically, inside the... So it's like writing a markdown inside pages. The only two elements that I'm keeping in plain text are the block quotes and uh, lists. Uh, that's why, by the end, I will need to do some find and replace because Scrivener does some uh, character escaping with uh, with a major uh, sign for block quotes in markdown. But that's no big deal. I already have the rejects in, in workflow that does the find and replace for me. Um, Is it weird to not be writing in markdown? Well, it's not weird because I got used to it with Ulysses. Oh, yeah, because you already had to change your markdown way of life anyway, right? Because it uses its own <laughs> language system thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I really got into the mindset of I want to have markdown at the end. I don't particularly care about having markdown as I'm writing because right. unless you have some crazy automation like editorial or BB edit on the Mac... Plain text slows you down. You know, you need to type brackets or you need to manually do the footnotes and the scrolling, go to the bottom of the document, go back to the top. So unless you have an automation environment set up, any other markdown text editor slows you down. And I can afford that. So after months of Ulysses, you know, they do similar things with the bold and the, the bold formattings and the italics and especially the links and the footnotes. So it was no big deal to switch to, to switch to Scrivener in, in that sense. But as long as I can have Markdown at the end and as long as I can do some, you know, call up the workflow extension and do my, my find your replace with the, with the rejects, I'm okay. And so, yeah, it's, it's, be, it's been going really well. I'm finishing up the messaging, uh, the messages section now which is one of the one of the big, three big ones i would say messages siri and notifications 
are the three big ones. And I've done uh, many, many other medium ones. So like, uh, well, lock screen and widgets actually was a big one. So that's done. Um, I will need to do design, but I want to wait for, for later betas because I feel like Apple is still kind of finalizing the design changes to the one I, the one I have on iOS 10. I need to do Apple Music, but that's going to be fun because music is fun. And then it's going to be everything else. Uh, CallKit and the you know other extensions. I need to wait for developers to send me betas. Um, if there's going to be betas, I don't know. But um, I'm, I'm confident that by, by Saturday, when I will stop being alone every day and when we plan to go on vacation after that, I'm confident that I will be in a better in a better position than last than last year. So it sounds like Scrivener is giving you a bunch of tools at once. You have some almost some like layout stuff. You have status. You have research. Yeah, and you have your writing, which like that's I mean that's really attractive to me. I'm not doing anything long form like you are at the, at the moment, but I can see how a system like this could be useful where you're running around keeping up with stuff like in your to-do list or in Dropbox and subfolders, like having it all in one place um, does seem attractive. How is the the sync working out? Because I've, I've read some stuff about this. Scrivener syncs packages on Dropbox. They're not using iCloud. Has that been uh, good for you or are you just using it on one iPad and just letting the, the syncing just be your backup? No, I'm using it on every device. And I feel like the, the fact that there's no automatic syncing, you need to hit uh, a sync icon manually. It, it's making me more disciplined in the sense that I that I'm sitting down, I write a section, and uh, every time I hit save, it's n- not as convenient as other, as you know as modern stuff, but it's right. also very sort of uh, sort of a classic environment in the sense that okay, I'm writing and I need to save it, and also I I have this workflow that um, every time I compile the draft because I want to look at it. Uh, in addition to the Scrivener package in Dropbox, uh, I keep um, I compile the, entra- the, the entire contents of the draft and I save it in a text file also in Dropbox. And I'm also saving it in iCloud Drive just to make sure that I have you know redundancy for all mm-hmm. of my backups. Speaking of compiling, um, just a quick note. One of the benefits of organizing uh, documents in folders in Scrivener in the binder is in addition to compiling the entire document, so looking at the total work count, you can compile the contents of a folder, just a folder. So when I was writing the messages section yesterday, I felt like I was writing a little too much. And so I compiled the contents of the messages folder and I, and I, and I was able to see the work count from all of the documents contained in the messages folder pulled together and a total work count just for that section, which is very useful. And I've never been able to do to do the same in other text editors. So it's you know I, I, I had many many concerns about using a tool that's meant for like book writers or you know screenplays that kind of stuff. Whether it could work for an IS review, but as it turns out, I have many of I share a lot of the same problems as people are writing novels or, you know, any other long manuscript because that's what it is, right? And so to to be able to have these tools to organize my work and to navigate my work and to embed research into the same project, I feel like it's really helping me out. And I think the progress that I made in the, pa- in the past week is peaks by itself. Um, yeah. I'm mm. not paying attention to the text editor. I'm just writing and I'm letting the text editor help me instead of me taking care of the app 
it's the other way around. And it feels great because I can just sit down and get to writing, look at the labels. For, for example, today I was looking at uh, my, my, my sidebar, uh, the iMessage apps document was uh, highlighted in yellow from the night before. And I was like, yep, I need to get this done today. So, you know, I've, I've been very, very disciplined, guys. I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm a, I'm a grown-up now. So if I'm following this properly, Scrivener is not your text editor now? No. No, 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 it's still Ulysses. It's still on my on my home screen. Uh, it's what I need to use for uh, CloudMax stories, and it's what I want to use because... you have a bunch of automation stuff built into Ulysses. I have a lot of automation, and really, uh, a Scrivener doesn't work for, you know, blog posts and that kind of stuff. It's I'm using Scrivener just for the iOS 10 review. Because basically, the iOS 10 review is a book. Like, it is book length, and it has chapters and sections and everything. It's effectively a book, which is what Scrivener is built for, right? I'm trying to be... I'm trying to have it be shorter than last year. So last year, it was about 45... I don't mean just in word count, though. I mean, just like in the approach of the project, yeah, and structurally. It is, it is, yes. There's uh, chapters with sections and subsections. And it's like a long process of lots of iteration. Like it is effectively, you know, the skeleton of what it is right is writing a, like a nonfiction book. Yeah, because uh, there's also like I don't have characters, of course, in the in the book. There's a few fictional elements which Mike knows yeah. about. Don't spoil yeah. it. Don't I'm not spoil gonna. It. I'm not gonna. There's a few fictional elements as examples. But uh, I don't have characters, but I have, uh, I have a, this folder called Big Themes, <laughs> where I'm keeping track of the, the, the underlying takeaways from, from the review. So recurring ideas or topics or problems that I developed throughout the entire review and that by the end I should bring together in a cohesive and hopefully good conclusion. Uh, We'll see how it goes. What is uh, what does Scrivener cost? It's twenty dollars. And is it just an iPad app? iPad and iPhone. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, it, cool. Really, it's a it's an impressive app, and I know that it took them a a few years to get it done. And my understanding is that <laughs> no. by the end, basically, from as long as the iPad has existed, <laughs> this app has been in working in some ways. It's become like a meme, you know. By the end of the process, the the developer. Keith, I don't remember the last name, was uh, kind of fed up with the with the with the delays, and he just took it upon himself to finish the iOS app. And they have updates planned, and they're super responsive. Like they fix all of my problems. They give they give me a, a, a list of fantastic suggestions for Markdown. Uh, I'm I'm really happy. Uh, I'm again I'm using it just for this project, just for the iOS 10 review, and I. I don't recommend it for blog posts unless they're really long. Uh, I don't feel bad going with two text editors on my on my devices, if only because I don't see Scrivener as a text editor. I see it. I see it as the book writing application, and it's a word processor. Maybe I don't know. But Ulysses is my text editor, and Scrivener is where I do the iOS review. All right. Well, exciting stuff, man. I'm I'm happy you found a new tool. What what the perfect time to come along for something like this for you? Yeah, really. It's uh, I feel like you know we're past the first half of July, so this is really the key uh, a key moment for me. Like I need to finish the the most important sections right now, 
I can keep the conclusion, I can keep the everything else section. Uh, also, there's something that I, that I want to ask you guys and maybe our listeners. I'm thinking of doing... Um, you know how I used to do before I decided to do full-on reviews? I used to do separate articles for a new version of iOS. Mm-hmm. I used to do a story and I used to do tips and tricks. Now, I'm thinking of having a... Before the conclusion, having some kind of TLDR section where I relist all of the tidbits and the tips and tricks from the main review that you might have missed, or if you just want to see those. Could be could be fun, could be interesting, could be yeah, useful to people. You should definitely do that. You should definitely, definitely do that. What I'm doing now is, I forgot to mention this, when I'm writing... And I realized that I mentioned uh, maybe a you know a little known feature or a little detail. I highlight it in orange. So when I'm going through the the first reading of the draft, uh, I can see that that's a candidate for the too long during read section. So maybe maybe there's gonna be a final section before the conclusion. I don't know. We'll see. All right. This episode is also brought to you by Smile and Text Expander, which is simply indispensable. Now, very quickly, right? But Smile is sponsoring today. They want me to talk about Text Expander, but I want to say something else about Smile. So let me just talk about Text Expander real quick. It allows you to type just a few characters and it'll expand anything you want. Email addresses, chunks of code, marketing copy, driving directions. You can put emoji in there to to do. We, I've recently added a Pokemon one with the correct accented E. Whenever I type Pokemon, automatically changes it. Many people, I'm sure Stephen has a Mac OS one, right? Because of the new Mac OS naming. Text Expander is super, super powerful. You can have fill-in snippets so you can customize responses. They are now uh, a subscription service. Subscriptions start at $40 per year, and it includes all of the apps, which is now Mac, iPhone, iPad, and Windows, which is currently in beta. And the new Text Expander sharing service keeps all of your snippets on all of your devices all the time. You have discounts for registered users, and the team subscriptions that you can now buy include organization-focused snippet and team management, detailed access control, consultant, Validated billing. If you're a team and you have Text Expander, everyone will have all of the snippets. It's like a common knowledge bank, which is so awesome. But so that's it. Go get Text Expander. It is fantastic. I love the app. What I wanted to say about Smile is we're at episode 100. Smile sponsored episode one, and they have been with this show every month. We have had a Smile sponsorship, sometimes more than one, for the entire run of this show. So I just want to thank them for doing that. Um, it means a lot to all of us. Smile have been a great supporter, both in this way, and they've just been a, just a great company to work with over the whole history of Relay FM, and especially this show. So I want to thank everyone at Smile for helping make this show happen every single week. Go and check out Text Expander. Thank you, Smile. I forgot to mention, uh, guys, I have a favor to ask Uh-oh. to our listeners. So if... Any developer who's working on an iMessage app or a SiriKit app, but especially the iMessage ones. Um, if you're listening to this right now, I'm looking for uh, examples of iMessage apps, and I have a few questions to ask about the new messages framework and how you can implement uh, interactive messages and collaborative messages in the new in iOS 10. So feel free to send me an email or, or send me a, a tweet, uh, and I would be really happy to be able to ask these questions. So you're looking for not stickers, 
You're looking Not for stickers. people that are using the iMessage frameworks to build apps. Apps can also present, you know, sticker browsers, but not just sticker packs, iMessage apps. And then what you do with the with the iMessage app, I, I don't care, as long as it's not a sticker pack. So, yeah. It's kind of confusing to explain. Mm-hmm. iMessage apps can yeah. also do stickers. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, iMessage apps with the messages framework, not the sticker pack. Thank Matt you. Bonnie wrote in, and he sent us a link to a YouTube video which highlights an implementation of 3D Touch on the iPad Pro with the use of the Apple Pencil. So currently, this is only showing in the notification center view. You Mm -hmm. can press hard on the little X and you can clear all notifications. Now, this is completely useless just to be in this part of the OS, only that one little thing. But what it Mm -hmm. is showing, whether purposefully or not, maybe the code is just left in, it hasn't been removed in the most recent beta, but it is showing a way that Apple can implement 3D Touch on the iPad Pro. Interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the only instance where uh, the Apple Pencil is being used to replicate 3D Touch. I've tried to to 3D Touch all of the things on my my (laughs) iPad Pro, and it's the only place where you you can really apply pressure and you can, you know... Uh, change the level of the of the force that you apply on the screen, and you can see the clear icon uh, zooming in and out. Uh, so it's the only place where it works. And uh, I'm not sure whether it's a bug or it's a, a single feature. Well, it can't be a bug, right? Because it works. I guess it can be a bug, or maybe there's just like a, one single engineer who really wanted this feature. Uh, but that's peculiar, I think. Yep. Uh, I wonder if we're looking at the the first indication of... Apple trying to bring 3D Touch to the iPad via the Apple Pencil, given the lack of a real 3D Touch, so to simulate the interaction of 3D Touch without a 3D Touch-enabled display, uh, using the force uh, mechanism and you know the, the, the different levels of pressure of the Apple Pencil in the in the iOS SDK. Uh, I don't know. I guess developers in theory, you should also be able to do this right now if they want to. It's just odd to see it in a, in a system feature uh, yep. because you cannot do the same on, in any other, anywhere else. So if you try to press on an icon on the home screen, you're not going to get the quick actions. You're just going to get you know wiggling mode. So we'll see. I don't know. Maybe it goes away. Maybe it says maybe there's an expansion of this uh, 3D touch-like interactions with the pencil. It's interesting. Initially, I was worried. Right. I mean, it has been long documented my love of being able to use the Apple Pencil to interact with UI and navigate the operating system. So initially I was like, oh, they're making some change. That's bad for me. But if Apple do implement this, this is actually good for me. This is validation of the Pencil being used to interact with your user interface. Right? Right. Yeah. Like if, if this is a thing that is brought in, well, they have to keep my feature because it would be crazy otherwise, right? You'd be using your finger and your pencil at the exact same time. It'd be really weird. So I think that this kind of validates the UI mm-hmm. navigation continuing to remain. It's basically Johnny saying Mike was right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I, I think it's clever. And we've spoken a lot about 3D Touch and the iPad being weird. Maybe it's a problem with the size of the display and technical issues there. But putting in the pencil is sort of a genius move, right? It is. It, you can already do pressure sensitivity, and I don't have a problem with them tying it to a hardware accessory. Like at first, my first reaction was like, "Oh, it's kind of gross. You have to have a pencil for that." But it, I mean, if you look at the um, the other devices, the iPhones, like it's only available on some of them. <laughs> like you have to buy a new iPhone to have 3D Touch. And so it's you know, I think it's fine. I, th- I do think it's 
a worthwhile experiment on Apple's part because if for 3D Touch to really take off, and I would argue that it, that it really hasn't in the way that Apple maybe wanted it to, like it has to be available on more devices. And if you can't do 3D Touch on the iPad for whatever reason, for Mike's, you know, it's going to topple over a reason for like technical issues, whatever the problem problems are, you have to figure it out. And a big part of that in iOS 10 is all with all the widget stuff, and you have like the short look and long look sort of metaphor. And to have 3D Touch, even if it's through a hardware accessory, is is key for like iOS 10 to sort of make sense in places. And Apple's clearly leaning into 3D Touch in new ways. So I, th- I think it's good. I, I agree with you that um, they shouldn't screw with the UI stuff. In fact, in the YouTube video, the guy attempts to pull down the notification center with the pencil, which I try to do all the time because you can't grab the edges of the display with it. But um, I just sort of chuckled because I find myself making that error. It's more than just the display edges. Like There's this weird like level of kind of meta UI uh, like for example, you can't act. You, if you've got devices, if you've got two apps in split view, and you hit that little thing in the middle to detach them, the pencil can't do that. Like it's anything related to the stuff that comes in from the sides interacting with it, it, and it just it just doesn't do it. It used to do it. It used to do some little parts of it, but when they made the changes, they completely removed all of that stuff. Um, yeah. which I don't care about. It doesn't bother me, but it's just an interesting thing. Apple doesn't want the pencil doing that sort of meta, meta UI. Yeah, you just got to get used to like what it can and can't do. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I don't think this is by accident. Uh, I mean, I guess it could be, but I don't think it is. I think it's maybe them experimenting with this. And I think it's I think it's a nice addition. And I think having it as like the clear all button is sort of a funny way to introduce it because... So how how long have we? I mean, since I was five, have complained about not having a a clear all button in notification center. Is that on the iPhone, Federico? With 3D Touch. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay, I didn't know. I don't remember that. Yeah, like uh, like on the Apple Watch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. I don't have the beta on my phone yet. No, neither do I. I. I think it's I think it's a good move. I hope that it expands. And um, while while we're on the the topic of iOS 10, can we talk about the widgets for a minute? Like, I'm just really struggling with iOS and widgets on my iPad. What, what's your what's your idea here, Steven? Um, uh, so I'm going to set aside that like a lot of them just don't work because developers need to update. Okay. That, that's not what I'm talking about, right? Like, Not a problem. I totally understand that. If I were a developer, updating my widget for iOS 10 would not be on my to-do list for this week. Um, but I think the interaction, especially on the, the lock screen of what's available when your device is locked versus when it's not locked, I think is confusing. I think that, and I think the widgets kind of don't look very good. Like, um, mm. I know that's personal taste, but like, I just don't find them particularly attractive. I think there's a lot of wasted space. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just, I, I, I wanted to find them useful. And so far, like I wanted to have my iPad as, to set up these widgets I'm going to use a word and you guys don't mock me for it. I wanted to use it as a type of dashboard, right? I could like mm-hmm. quickly glance and see to-dos and upcoming events and weather and like just, of course because, I mean, did. that's what they're you there want for. You it to ripple like, when you drop a widget there, you know, like a little bloop, 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 oh ripple God. effect. Does that make you feel better? You were so, mm, bully. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a harsh word. Uh, is it? You yeah. took away follow-up, Mike. Mm-hmm. Took it away. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not finding them like that engaging and, and maybe it is my confusion of like I don't know what's available when or where 
uh, I don't know. Maybe I need more time with it. Maybe it's that on the iPad they're jankier than they are on the phone. Again, I haven't run them on the phone, but I don't know. I'm not finding myself loving this new this new system. I feel like um, there's some performance problems right now where a lot of widgets uh, use too much memory and so they download uh, every single time. And there's some design issues where uh, the the compact design of widgets uh, is not really compact in the sense that there's some wasted space at the, at the bottom of some compact widgets. So they need to improve the design. And I feel like throughout the betas, that will get better. And in terms of the design itself, the change from the you know translucent notification center to these standalone units of content, that's very intentional in the sense that you can have a widget that resembles the interface of an app more than it was possible with the previous design. And I feel like that will be more clear as soon as a lot of third-party apps adapt to the, to the new design. And as soon as you can see the benefit of compact mode and expanded mode, even if you look at the, at the Apple widgets right now, um, especially the weather one and the notes one, um, I think it got me a lot to... to to a lot of time to get used to this. But the Notes widgets, for example, it, it looks like part of the Notes app was taken out of Notes and put into a widget. And mm-hmm. in the sense that the interface is more consistent between you know the app itself and this new white transparent widget. And it wasn't possible before because you know with the with the old notification center, uh, with the black with the dark background uh, it was really difficult for developers to have consistency between the looks of an app and the look and the looks of a widget. So, mm-hmm. in that sense, by the final version, I want to see, and when third-party developers adopt, I want to see what what's what's it gonna feel like to switch from app to widget and vice versa. And the 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 the, the problem with the authentication is, uh, developers will be able to choose. I think. Uh, whether your data can be your personal data can be displayed on 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 the lock screen or not, and right now Apple believes that your personal notes, your your activity stuff, and um, I don't know if your if your calendar stuff as well, uh, they believe that it requires authentication. I would like to see some kind of setting to say, look, it's fine. Always show me my stuff on the lock screen. I don't mm-hmm. mind if someone picks up my phone and takes a look at my notes. But it's re- to to understand what Apple is doing. Uh, the the new default uh, for unlocking a phone, the two step process is key. Uh, so Apple thinks that you pick up your phone, it you know the display comes on with race to wake, then you swipe, you see the widgets, it says you need authentication. So you just place the finger on the Touch ID and it authenticates. So without uh, the the widgets and the and the unlocking process go hand in hand in this design. So you pick up the phone, swipe, place the finger, and you can see the dashboard. I would like to have settings to say I don't care about privacy. <laughs> Show me everything all the time. <laughs> uh, I don't think Apple will have this kind of control in their own apps. I feel like developers will be able to do that, and I feel like a, a lot of users like me and you will say, "Look, uh, you know, to do it, it's okay. Show me my tasks on the lock screen." Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I feel like widgets are, you know, a big change. I mean, this is probably an obvious thing, 
Um, but I can see how, how we get there. Every widget that I have used that on iOS 10 that I'm using on iOS 9, I hate it, right? It looks terrible. It doesn't work. I don't know why everything's white. But all of the iOS 10 widgets that I've used, I really like. So I really like the notes exactly. widget. Um, exactly. James Thompson, the developer of PCalc, he has worked on some new widgets. It's like short, and like the, the, the compact and expanded, and I'm on the beta, mm-hmm. and I love the, so, the, the compact widget. If you look at what James is doing, so he tweeted screenshots. If you look at the custom interface that he did for PCalc and the widget, would have that be possible, being possible in iOS 9 with the, with the old look of widgets in Notification Center? The answer is no, because the, the custom interface would have, you know, st- would have been, you know, just ugly, like mm-hmm. <laughs> like a punch in the face. Yeah. Uh, with the, w- <laughs> by by moving from that unified dark background to separate cells of content with a white background, developers can now do this edge to edge custom interfaces that don't look like it like they stick out too much. They feel like they're like mini interfaces taken from apps and placed inside a widget. Before, that would have been terrible. And we've seen really terrible interfaces uh, inside widgets in iOS 8 and in iOS 9. And the, what you mentioned, Mike, about iOS 9 widgets look terrible, iOS 10 ones look very nice. That's exactly why Apple is doing this. Because they, they, they want to say, update your widgets for iOS 10. Consider the two modes, consider the new design, and look at what we're doing with the weather, with the notes widgets, with the calendar widget. And I truly believe that once every developer updates their app for the iOS 10 look, they will look really, really nice. Right now, they look ugly because they cannot take advantage of the white background and the, the, the compact mode. Uh, there's some many, many other problems that I want to mention and that I mentioned in the review. Uh, for example, I, I have many questions and, and doubts about uh, showing the widget uh, when you 3D touch on, on the on the uh, icon of an app on the home screen. Uh, I I have some problems with the API. I feel like Apple should be a little more flexible with the with the control that they give developers, but that's uh, maybe a topic for, for another time, yeah. sometime in September. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so Federica, mm-hmm. you wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about some stuff that was announced in iOS 10 that I remain to be a little bit confused about, and I'm hoping that you can help. And this is around differential privacy and data collection in iOS 10. These were things that Apple mentioned a bunch. And I'm a little bit confused about it. Are you able to shine any more light on what this differential privacy stuff is and what data Apple is actually collecting and if they're sharing it at all of our devices? So let me have a disclaimer right at the top. (laughs) There's there's an entire research paper's uh, mathematical algorithms uh, and really smart people working on differential privacy. It's a very complex topic um, based on some real math, and which I don't fully get. But I was able to understand the basics as a layperson. Uh, and I feel like a good way to understand differential privacy is, imagine you're on a stage and there's a lot of people watching you perform. And imagine that you ask a question to those people and you're asking those people to vote and you're asking them about their favorite food. And there's like 3,000 people answering you and yelling at you. But from those 3,000 people, you can hear trends emerge. So you can hear a lot of people screaming pizza and you can hear a lot of other people yelling coffee. 
and then you can hear a bunch of other chatter that you don't really understand. That's the idea of differential privacy. It's a way to surface trends from crowdsourced data without being able to identify anyone. So in this scenario, we are the people in the audience. Apple is on stage. Yes. Right. So it's a way to collect data from to to crowdsource collecting data and anonymizing that data by adding what a techn- uh, what is called noise. So Apple is taking the data, but only bits of the data, adding random noise to not being able not be able at a later stage to identify any single individual. So in the case of you know if Apple goes rogue and they want to steal people's names from that data, they won't be able to identify anyone because you know that data doesn't match any single person. Do you know if the data is anonymized before it leaves your device? Well, that's that's part of the the, the way that it works, but part of right. the algorithm, right? right uh, okay. my, my understanding is iOS collects a portion of the data. And then and transmits it. It never leaves your device is identifiable. No, it's it, right. according to Apple at least. Yep. Uh, the way that it's built is to not be identifiable for the single user. Yep. So even if Apple, again, uh, they go crazy or if they get hacked, uh, no one will be able to say, okay, Mike Hurley from London said that his favorite emoji is the you know the eggplant one mm-hmm. that's the idea um, now there's a few different areas of iOS 10 when Apple is using uh, differential privacy to collect data and according to the company at least initially they will be limited to four specific use cases words that users add to their dictionaries Emoji typed by the user, deep links, and lookup hints within notes. So I have many questions here, and I want to start from the lookup. So lookup is the new uh, interface for the dictionary. Used to be called define. So when you select a word in iOS 9 and in iOS 8 before, uh, you get the define option to look up the word in the dictionary. And that's all that it is. It's just a dictionary. In iOS 10, it's called Lookup, and it's more versatile in the sense that it's more like Spotlight. When you select a sentence or when you select a single word, you don't just get the dictionary definition. You get the dictionary definition at the top, but also you get suggested websites, you get uh, Wikipedia results, you get uh, iTunes results, web videos, uh, I think images also. So it's more like what you can do with Spotlight, only done for text that the user has selected. Why does it need differential privacy to do this? Why can't it, why can't it just run a search? Exactly. So when Apple says look up hints within notes, so they're talking about only the notes app and only when the user brings up the lookup interface. But what's a lookup hint? I don't fully understand. So uh. maybe they're looking at so users who are typing stuff into notes, then the user looks up something and maybe whatever they tap, uh, they choose as an option is used to crowdsource the result. I'm not sure. Hmm. So, you know, and, and uh, this is a common trend for <laughs> my questions here. Uh, new words that the users add to the local dictionary. Um, I, I never fully understood how iOS uh, adds a word to the local system dictionary. Uh, I just feel like over time, iOS learns 
by itself words that I'm typing. Yeah, because you can make it, you can kind of force teach it something. Like you can make a mistake enough times and then it ends up being a word in the dictionary. But there's no full interface where I can go and be like, okay, hit plus. Now I want to add this word. It just learns over time from you dismissing the autocorrect. Like a problem in my life, and this is serious, I'm not joking here, Sometimes I type in the word podcaster and it corrects it to podcasters. This is a, <laughs> a problem that I have brought upon myself, but it happens. Hmm. All right. Yeah, so basically Apple is looking up words that people add to the local dictionaries. I guess the idea is to be able to surface new words, such as when people say, I don't know, imagine that Stephen comes up with a new word, like uh, Mike's, and Mike's identifies people from London. And if enough people start saying you are you are a Mike's, uh, then iOS sees that as a new word that people use, like a built-in urban dictionary, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Could be. Uh, emojis, <laughs> emoji, emoji type by the user. So there's two ways, at least there used to be in, in, uh, until iOS beta 2, two ways that uh, iOS could improve emoji for you. One is only available in messages, and that is the, the one that they showed on, on stage at WWDC. You type a message, you say, hey, want to go for dinner and have a pizza? You type that uh, in an iMessage conversation. Then you open the emoji keyboard, and the emoji keyboard does a scan of the text, and it highlights in orange words that have an emoji replacement available. So you tap the word, dinner becomes the knife with the fork emoji, and pizza becomes the pizza emoji. So it's a way to let people emojify their sentences with just a few taps. The problem is, or not the problem, maybe the... the that annoys me that it's only available in messages. Yeah, right. I, I guess it's more difficult for Apple to... I mean, you gotta, you got to have a developer implementing a specific type of text field. Uh, I don't know. I've been thinking about this, honestly. I wonder if it's them just making a statement, right? That you can talk about in emoji and messages, but don't do it in your emails. Exactly. I can kind of see them <laughs> making a sort of like dad statement about it. Don't make that decision for me, Apple. Like, I want to tweet crazy emoji too. No, go to your room. Get this. When you, when you, when you select a word, uh, I had this problem yesterday. So I typed love into an iMessage conversation. And uh, I hit the emoji keyboard, did a scan, and love was orange. I, type, I tapped love, and it brought up not an emoji, a single emoji replacement, but a pop-up with three possible choices. Mm-hmm. And they were like choices of different emoji, uh, heart emoji. So my idea is that Apple brings up this menu, and over time, they're looking at how yeah. many users... Yeah pick one emoji from those possible candidates yep. so that mm-hmm. over time with differential privacy that if a trend surfaces that maybe people prefer the single red heart instead of the two hearts, that becomes the new default when you know the emoji keyboard highlights love. It's not going to bring up a list. It's just going to suggest the default that a lot of people use as collected by differential privacy. But there's a second way that iOS 10 at least used to be able, before beta 3 that came out yesterday, used to be able to suggest emoji to you. And that was through the quick type bar, you know, the suggestions above the keyboard available for predictive languages. Used to be, again, until yesterday, and I'm really sad that it's gone from beta 3, at least for a lot of people, 
including me, used to be that you, you're typing anything in any app, not just messages, and when there's a word that matches an emoji, an, an emoji is suggested in the quick type bar. So you can either decide to replace the word with the emoji. So let's say that I'm typing, I'm walking the dog. And as soon as I type dog, the dog emoji comes up in the quick type bar, you know, the suggestions. So if I leave a space, I can put the dog emoji next to the word. So dog, space, dog emoji. If I don't put a space after the word dog and I hit the emoji, it replaces the word. And it used to be awesome because it, you know, it uh, suggested emoji for popular words. So pasta, pizza, beach, sun, heart, love, you know, that kind of stuff. Really popular words. Didn't suggest more specific stuff like, uh, I don't know. Well, I mentioned this on Upgrade. I'll say it again here. Uh, on Gboard, if you type in but, double T, you get a peach. <laughs> didn't, didn't work for iOS then, I tried. No. Oh, you did? I tried, yeah, <laughs> yes, work. I did with many other words, Mike, that I cannot repeat on the show. That's why you keep texting me random single yes, words all the yes. time. Be <laughs> on the lookout, be on the lookout for, for emojis, Steven. So that quick type functionality is gone from beta 3. And I'm not sure if it's a bug or if it's coming back and if it's being used for differential privacy. If I were to put a bet, I would say that Apple is using the emoji replacement in messages. But what they told the press, so the statement was, emojis typed by the user. It makes me think that QuickType was playing some kind of role in this, but I'm not sure. So we'll have to see if Beta 4 brings uh, the QuickType suggestions back, and maybe we'll just have to wait for clarifications from Apple. Mm. The last part is interesting because it was supposed to ship last year, and it's deep links. Uh, use inside apps. So last year, when Apple announced the new Spotlight with, um, you know, rich results from apps, they also announced the ability to for developers to advertise deep links, so, you know, like a specific section of an app, and market for public indexing. So the idea was, um, let's say that you're a developer of a popular, you know, uh, app with content, new content in the in the app every day, like a magazine app. And you, you, you want to mark those articles in the magazine public because, of course, anyone can read those articles. And those, mag- those articles can be accessed with a deep link. So it's like a URL scheme uh, or a universal link. As soon as you mark it as, for, uh, as eligible for public indexing, it gets beamed into the Apple Cloud and over time, users, without having to install your app, can just look for a string of text in Spotlight. Let's say that you have an article on cooking pasta. So on last year, Apple was saying, on iOS 10, down the road, you can just look for cooking pasta in Spotlight. And without having to have the magazine app installed, the, the deep link publicly advertised from the developer will suggest you the content even if you don't have the app on your device. Then last year, during the summer, uh, so I had a, an article on this, a whole story about you know public indexing and the Apple Cloud and you know what they were doing with search results. Then during the summer, the documentation for this feature was pulled from the Apple developer website. I was like, hmm, okay. 
And after a few weeks, they added uh, a little note at the bottom of the document that says, uh, public indexing for deep links will be available in the future. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they, had, they had a session at WWDC 2015 about this feature. They had documentation. And then sometime in August 2015, they decided to postpone it. And of course, it's coming back with differential privacy in iOS 10. So the idea again is, um, if enough developers advertise deep links for public indexing and if enough users tap on those links and use those apps in a differential, differentially private way, iOS 10 will understand which content is popular and it will suggest those deep links to users even if they don't have the, ops, the apps installed. A good way to understand this. Let's say that uh, enough users on Foursquare go to a bar and leave re positive reviews for that bar. And enough users, millions of users, open the Foursquare page in the Foursquare app for that location. I'm living in Rome. I don't have the Foursquare app installed. I'm looking for this bar. I type something like cocktail bar in Spotlight. And that Foursquare page, because it was used by millions of people, comes to me as a suggestion without, the f without me having to have Foursquare on my device. That's the idea. I'm not sure how well it'll work in practice, but it's coming back with differential privacy. It was pulled last year. Now Apple is hoping that it'll pick up again. And it's based on NS user activity, which is you know uh, the API that, uh, that is being used for a lot of stuff on iOS 10 and in iOS 9. It's used for reminders, it's used for Siri, it's used for maps, uh, it's used for search. So it's this powerful API that is powering a lot of different parts of apps in iOS. And again, we'll have to see how well it'll scale uh, once iOS 10 is available. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess this is part of the reason why Apple is doing public betas of iOS, because, you know, with with these new ways to crowdsource data, to collect data, and to suggest uh, popular content or trends or come up with new defaults, you know, such as emoji, uh, over time, it, they need a lot of data. And the best way to collect data is to let people use apps. And of course, the public beta makes sense. So this, this deep linking thing reminds me of Android instant uh, apps. Kind of, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really that's really similar. The yeah. idea is, uh, I'm I'm not sure if Apple will let you jump to an uh, to content inside an app even if it's not installed. They'll maybe go to the universal link in Safari, or they'll maybe right. open the app store. So the difference might be that they say everybody's searching in the Foursquare app for something. Mm -hmm. What they do is take you to the relevant web page yes. rather than the piece of content from the application. Yeah, yeah, I would think I think so. I prefer the Android implementation. I know a lot of people wouldn't, but I think mm -hmm. I would just prefer to stay inside of apps. But hey, yeah, it's just a taste thing. Yeah, I wonder if, if people would find that confusing. I think we talked about that when Google made their announcement of like, what, oh, I'm in the Yelp app, but I don't have Yelp installed. Or, or maybe they never notice. Like, <laughs> I, just, I just don't know like what people's expectations uh, would be around that. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. It's interesting, though. I mean, I think, I think being able to surface content out of apps is is important. You know, we there's a lot of discussion about our world moving from the open internet to like a bunch of siloed apps, and mm -hmm. this is a way. Like this sort of technology keeps a lot of good things about the open web. Um, 
keeps them intact in this world of apps that can't really talk to each other in a lot of interesting ways like websites can. So I think it's um I think it's positive. I hope they can they can pull it off and I think they can, but um, you know, I think it's all about those details, right? Like if you if you lead a user down a path and suddenly they don't know how they got there or they think that they clicked on a link and like something installed on their phone without their permission. <laughs> That's not not a good experience. But I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. All right, so listening to this stuff, I mean, I can hear it's very complex and sounds like some interesting things here, but they're not they're not doing anything crazy. Like, no, no, no. this is all very simple stuff, which leads me back to the idea of like, okay, great, you have this really nice way of keeping all of my stuff private, which is awesome. Thank you very much. But is it holding you back? Because this is very simple things it's doing. It's, it's not changing fundamentally how my phone works it's suggesting yeah. words to me in emoji that yes. you're using this incredibly <laughs> private way to do this i don't know if emoji needs to be that private but they're doing it anyway yeah it's very specific stuff and and i get the idea that um apple is starting small from you know very specific activities that users do on ios and you could see how in the future uh, they could kind of expand to more complex and potentially risky areas of the OS, such as, I don't know, looking at driving times or looking at how people organize their schedules, uh, looking at people how people organize spe- specific types of emails, such as newsletters or people from contacts. Uh, but right now they're doing this very limited, very specific uh, suggestions and data collection uh, that I won't make your your iPhone suddenly into Google now. Basically, yeah. it, it's not that. Uh, it, it, it has a chance to improve stuff that you do every day, uh, such as typing or adding emoji. But it's not you know in any in any way revolutionary, at least in terms of impact. The underlying technology might as well be, and a lot of researchers are you know are praising Apple for trying this new this new tech. Some uh, other people are saying it's a new technology, we're not sure how it works yet. So it's a little it's a it's an uncharted territory right now. Mm-hmm. And and Apple is doing it's you know starting small uh four four features. Uh, we don't know how well they will work, uh but you know th- that's what Apple does. They start small and eventually if everything goes well, they do more. If it doesn't, they just pull the documentation again, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so that brings it to the end of our 100th episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you if you've been with us for this whole 100 episodes. We appreciate the fact that you've stuck with us for this amount of time. If you want to find our show notes for this week, they're good. They're great. They're at relay.fm slash connected slash 100. If you would like to find us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can find Stephen at 512pixels.net. Uh, he's you have the five twelve pixels YouTube channel as well is a good place to go and also Stephen is at ismh on Twitter. Uh, Federico is at Vitici v i t i c c i and he is over at MacStories.net and I am at imike i m y k e. This show is a part of the Relay FM network. Go to relay.fm and you can see a, a plethora of other shows um, to maybe tickle your fancy. We have lots of interesting stuff there. Uh, Thanks again to our sponsors this week, the great people over at Smile and Hover. Thank you so much, as always, for their support. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, gentlemen. Arrivederci. Adios. Four.